just a reminder, I know we talk about this and we know this to be true, but I want to remind us of it, especially this morning, that as we talk about worship, worship is not just what we do when we sing, it's not just what we do in certain areas of life, it's all of who we are, it's all of what we give to the Lord, and so the great thing about the way this morning is going to work is the things that we have seen about, the things you've heard, that you've expressed, is going to flow right into what we're looking at in God's Word this morning. And so we're going to spend this time looking at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. I'll tell you up front, Matthew 24 is not only a long chapter, but it's a very controversial chapter in a lot of different ways. And so I'm going to try to put out an article later this week to help you see some of the different perspectives on this chapter. We're going to look at the beginning of the chapter this morning because it lays the foundation and then the following two Wednesday nights, we're going to unpack the middle and the end of the chapter. And so if you're not able to be with us on Wednesday nights, but you're curious about how the chapter flows and what comes next, we put out those Wednesday night teachings on our podcast. And so if you're interested and you want to look at that, or if you ever have questions, never hesitate to, uh, to reach out to me about that. But I want us to think here about the beginning of this chapter and the foundation that it lays for our lives we're going to read verses 1 through 14, then I'm going to pray for us, and then following that, we're just going to get right into talking about what these verses are, are all about. So Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because God God. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you again for the gift of what it means that we're able to gather in the name of Jesus. We don't gather this morning because of any particular person. God, we gather because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he wants to do in our lives and in this church. God, I pray this morning as we look at these verses that you would bring comfort and encouragement where that is needed. God, that you would bring challenge and conviction where that's needed. God, thank you for the truths that we've seen about this morning of the hope that we have in Christ. 
God, I pray for those who have come into this room and maybe even coming here this morning was a battle. Just the idea of having to deal with hard questions of faith or hard questions in life. God, I pray for those who are not able to be here but are listening at home, God, that you would work in their hearts and their lives. God, we desperately, around this topic this morning, we need to hear your word. God, would you do a good work in our lives and our church? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, no surprise to anybody. Not breaking news, but there is a football game uh, this evening. So I have not been interested in watching the Super Bowl in several years. I don't know what it was about it. Maybe it was the game. Maybe it was just where I was. It wasn't. I'm really interested uh, in, in today. I've seen a couple of Chiefs shirts, a couple of 49ers shirts and jerseys show up. So it's always, uh, always fun to see that developing this morning as we're kind of thinking about this. Well, I was thinking about the football game going on today. It made me go back, this, this thought came in my mind yesterday because we hosted a funeral here at Emmaus. I was thinking about the football weekend, and I went back to a funeral we hosted a couple of years ago from one of our church members, Angie Wall. Angie loved football, um, and Angie was going through a long process with ALS. And at her funeral, one of the things that we shared was something that's probably my favorite advanced metric in football, and it's called yards after contact. Yards after contract, contact is not, yards after contract is good. You want them to get yards after contact. Yards after contact is kind of an advanced metric in football of a running back or a receiver when they have the ball and they're met by a defender, how much further do they go after they run into that defender? And one of the points that I made in that funeral service for Angie was that she probably had the world record for yards after contact. You're living your life, and you run into this incredible difficulty, and what do you do when you face that difficulty? How do you continue to move forward? Here's what I want you to hear this morning, Emmaus. We live lives, and we live in a world that often can feel like it's crumbling that can often feel very difficult. I've been overwhelmed the last few weeks of how many of our church members are going through terrible health diagnosis, how many families are in difficult situations, how many people are dealing with job losses, and if they have a job, they're dealing with terrible situations at their job, the number of our teenagers who are dealing with intense anxiety, And then you take all of that and you add to that international turmoil, rumors of wars, earthquakes. We find our own political turmoil in our country. You take all of those things, and if we're not careful, it can start to feel like things are crumbling a little bit. We'd run into all of this difficulty. We were going down the road the other day, and one of my kids looked over at me and they said, Dad, are things getting worse? Now, we don't watch a lot of the news at our house for obvious reasons with little kids, but even our kids, seeing things, hearing things, looked over and said, Dad, does it seem like things are getting worse? Here's the question we want to deal with this morning. When it feels like your life is crumbling, or when you think, Lord, I can't take any more right now. I feel so much weight. I feel so much difficulty. How do I keep going? That's the gift of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse 1. 
Look what's going on here. It says in Matthew 24:1 that Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. You've heard Elvis has left the building. This is Jesus has left the building. Jesus has left the temple. That's not a random comment in your Bible. When it says there that Jesus has left the temple, that's a theological statement. It's continuing from chapter 23, these, these comments of judgment on the temple and all the rejection of God and God's ways that have been happening at this time. And so when it says Jesus has left the temple, it's a sign of judgment that he's going away from that and those who would follow him are going to have to go in a new direction. And his disciples do come with him. Again, his disciples, this is a big deal for them because they are leaving behind in some sense all that they've known with the temple and they're going to follow him out. And what's going to happen is Jesus is going to give the fifth major teaching that is given in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is divided into five major teaching sections and this is going to be the fifth one where Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it looks like to live in the world. And what Jesus is going to teach them in Matthew 24 is how do you keep going when it seems like everything is crumbling around you? And that's a good word for us in 2020. How do you keep going when it seems like everything is crumbling around you? Verse 2. What's going on in the situation of verse 2? The disciples were pointing out these buildings of the temple, and Jesus answered them, You see all these, do you not? He's in an area where they're looking at this incredible temple structure. There are comments from the ancient world that tell us how incredible the structure was. The picture you see up here on the screen is a picture of a replica that you could see if you were in Israel today, this incredible reconstruction of ancient Jerusalem and the, and the temple area. There are some comments from historians, uh, most specifically Josephus, who tells us that some of the stones that made up the temple were 30 feet wide. You think about stones that large and structures that were this grand. Now, Josephus was a little prone to exaggeration, so we don't know how accurate that is. But these are incredible structures. This would have been one of the most amazing buildings that anybody would have ever seen. And Jesus says, you see this, right? You, you see what's happening here. When I think about this structure... I think about the time that I was in college and we traveled to Southeast Asia to a place called Cambodia. In C Cambodia, there's a set of temples called Angkor Wat, or Angkor Wat, depending on how you say it. But in Angkor Wat, there are these incredible ancient temples that are there that are primary tourism uh, sites for people to go there. And this whole country and the people we interact with, much of their lifestyle was built on tourism, people coming to see the temples that are there in Angkor Wat. The, Difficulty is that people are coming to see temples that are falling down before your eyes. And back in verse 24, I mean, chapter 24, verse 2, look at what Jesus says at the end of that verse. He says, you see these great temples, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple. Now, when he does this, he is standing in line with the Old Testament prophets. The same thing happened to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7, 4 
Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. At the time of Jeremiah, the people were saying, there's no way the temple will ever be destroyed. We don't have to worry about anything. God's not going to allow that to happen. And Jeremiah says, no, that's a dangerous thing to say. Because God is most concerned with your worship of him. And he will allow the temple to be judged if it means that he draws you back to himself. And so Jesus, when he says these things in Matthew 24, he's standing in line with the Old Testament prophets. He's also going to say something that's ultimately going to lead to his crucifixion. At the trial of Jesus, the thing that gets him most in trouble is the fact that he had predicted the destruction of the temple. And some people were saying that he himself was going to bring it about. That's not what he said. But this idea that the temple would be destroyed is what would get Jesus in trouble. But here's the other thing Jesus is doing. He is helping his disciples have the proper perspective about the temple. He's saying everybody looks at this building and says how great it is. But that temple, what was it meant to point to? Jesus himself. People were more fascinated by this great building that was ultimately going to be destroyed than they were by Jesus. Do you know something that gets us in trouble in 2020? People get more fascinated by things that are going to pass away than they do by Jesus. And we constantly need his help to say, am I giving myself, am I giving my life to something that's going to pass away, or am I giving my life to Jesus? to something and someone that is never going to pass away. That's a question we have to ask ourselves all the time. What is my life about? What is my life directed toward? What is my life built on? Am I amazed by the temple or are my eyes focused on Jesus? Verse three. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is used in Zechariah. It's gonna be a place where judgment's going to come upon the people. And so Jesus is sitting here He's teaching, but he's teaching from a place that would have made perfect sense to the Old Testament prophets. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, and they would have been able to see the temple, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? All right, now there is so much packed into this verse. Let's try to make sure we, we see what's happening here. The disciples hear Jesus say, that the temple is going to be destroyed, that, that ultimately it will one day fall down, that it will be judged. And they say, number one, there's two different questions that the disciples are asking in this verse. For the disciples, they see these questions as essentially the same thing. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to separate the two questions and he's going to deal with them separately throughout this chapter, what we receive as a chapter. So tell us, they say, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? That's their first question. This will ultimately happen in AD 70. It's going to happen, but they want to know when will this happen. And the second question, what is going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, for a Jewish person, history was divided into this present evil age and the age to come. And everybody wanted to know, when is this age, when is this world going to end, and when is the age to come and the new world going to happen? So they want to know, when's that going to happen? Here's the thing for the disciples, don't miss this. For the disciples, they cannot imagine 
the destruction of the temple, not also meaning the end of the world. You see how this works, right? They cannot imagine that this great temple would fall down and that would not immediately mean Jesus is coming and the end of this present age. What Jesus is going to do, though, he's going to separate those two ideas. He's going to say, yeah, the temple is going to be destroyed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that immediately the end of this age is going to come. When it feels like your world is falling apart, it can make it feel like the whole world is falling apart. Sometimes when it feels like everything in my life is falling apart, everything out there gets worse as well. And, and so we begin to understand how the disciples are dealing with this. And so Jesus is going to take these questions in two parts. He's going to talk about what leads up to the destruction of the temple, but he's also going to help them understand how they're supposed to live up to the end of this age. So here's the question. How do we live when it feels like everything is falling apart? Verse 4. This is when Jesus begins to give us the answer. If you have a note sheet in front of you, there's going to be six reasons. I'm going to try to walk through these. How do we respond? How do we live when it seems like everything's falling apart? Verse 4. Jesus answered them. First, see that no one leads you astray. Astray from what? Well, ultimately astray from Christ. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Okay, Emmaus, number one. What do I do when I feel overwhelmed? What do I do when I feel like my life is falling apart? What do I do when I feel like the world is crumbling? The first thing is do not be led astray from Christ. When your life seems to be in shambles, or your friend's life is in shambles, or the world is in shambles, it's easy in those moments to be led astray from Christ and to follow after something that looks easier or quicker or more tangible. In those moments when life gets really hard, it's at those times we have to figure out what is the foundation for my life? What is my life anchored to? Because if we're not careful when life gets hard, instead of running closer to the Lord, we find ourselves running further from him. Jesus says, when life gets hard, stay close to me. Trust me. I am good. I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come to rescue you. I am the one who has come to sustain you. Do not be led astray. Don't follow after another Christ or another gospel or another way. What do those other ways look like? Sometimes it's as simple as you follow a way that says, hey, you know what? If Jesus was really the Messiah, and if God was really good, there's no way he would let those things happen to you. And you begin to doubt him. You begin to doubt his goodness. You begin to doubt his salvation. And you follow after a way that says, nah, just come over here. You'll find a different way. Maybe it's political. Maybe it's economic. Maybe it's just you find yourself living for yourself. The problem is, if you, in a time of crisis, find yourself led away, led astray to another gospel, that way will ultimately let you down. Only Christ is able to deal with the sin and the pain that all of us experience. He alone has defeated sin. He alone has defeated death. And he is saying, when you face difficulty, do not run from me. Stay close to me because I'm able to get you through this. Next, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. This is the idea when you live in a world and it seems like there's always rumors going around about bad things happening, you hear about wars, you hear about international turmoil, what does Jesus say you're supposed to do at a time like that? He says, do not be alarmed. In times of crisis, there's a great quote from a, a commentator where he says, in times of crisis, Christians are the calmest people on the block. <laughs> in a time of crisis, Christians are supposed to be the calmest people on the block. Why? Because our peace and our hope is not in ourselves. It's in Christ. And so we look to him. Now, does that mean that life is always easy? Not a chance. Does that mean that we're not grieving? Absolutely we grieve and we hurt and we face pain. But in those times, our peace and our hope is found in Christ. What do you do when you face turmoil in your life? What do you do when it seems like the world is crumbling around you? You're not alarmed. You say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you in a way that goes beyond anything that anybody could ever explain or describe, but I know you are good, and I know you're in control, and I will not panic. I will not be alarmed because my hope is in you. What causes alarm? What causes that fear to come up? Well, a couple of things. When you start to listen to the wrong people, uh, panicked people tend to listen to panicky people, okay? Um, so if you find yourself prone to anxiety, you probably don't need to spend a lot of time around people who make you particularly anxious. Uh, what things tend to make us anxious? Not meaning to overly critique social media, but if you are prone to panic, social media is probably not the place you need to spend a lot of time, okay? Facebook is like a panic factory um, that, that is out there. You gotta be so careful what you listen to. How much, how much news am I ingesting? How much am I allowing to be driven by the way that people around me think? Or are my eyes set on the Lord? Lord, you are good, I trust in you, I will not be alarmed. When difficulty comes, we have peace and hope because of Jesus. Here's the other thing as Christians that we realize. One of the ways we're able to deal with difficulty is we expect suffering as part of living in this world. There's an incredible word up here in this verse, verse six. It says, this must take place. I know it gets hidden a little bit into English, but that word must is just full of good theology. What it tells us is that when you live in a broken world full of sin, guess what? Pain and suffering and difficulty they're going to happen. And so for the Christian, when you deal with difficulty and trouble in the world, your response is kind of like, yeah, in some sense I expected that. We live in a world infected by sin. We live in a world infected by difficulty. When difficult things come, yeah, I kind of expected that to come. Now, hear me, hear me closely here. We still mourn. We still grieve. We still feel intensely that difficulty. I'm not saying to pretend like bad things aren't out there. That's not at all. But it's this, this idea of, here's what we're getting at. God, you're in control. Of course these things are going to happen. We live in a world infected by sin and death and difficulty, but they must happen. God, you're still in charge. You're still in control. I will continue to trust you. Look at this little summary slide just to make sure we're all on the same page about where, because there's a transition that's going to happen here a second in these verses. 
Oh, I forgot verse 7. Let's get verse 7 and 8 first, and then we'll come back. Verse 7 and 8, and then we'll look at that slide. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of that feels familiar to us. Verse 8, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus is saying these things are not immediately indicating that the end is going to come. This is just the beginning. This is part of living in a broken world. So up to this point, what do we see about living in this world? Look at this next slide for me just for a second. What do you do when things fall apart? Number one, be discerning about other gospels. Well, number one again, be a person of peace and hope. And then finally, face suffering as an expected but not final reality. How is Jesus leading us to deal with trouble in the world? Ask yourself, what is the foundation of my life? When it's Christ, I'm not going to be tempted to go from that because he alone can deal with the sin and the death and the difficulty in the world. I'm going to have peace and hope because of him. People around me are going to say, why are you peaceful in the middle of this situation? Why are you not panicking like everybody else? You know one of the best witnesses you can provide over the next year living in the United States is not to be a person of panic. If you are a person of peace and a person of hope and a person of joy, you are going to have an opportunity to share about the good news of Jesus with people around you. When you live in a panicked world, people of peace stand out. And we have the opportunity to show what that looks like as we follow Christ. And then when suffering comes, when difficulty comes into your life, there's a way when you can say, I hate this. When I see people in our church hurting hurting deeply, we can say, I hate when that happens. But in some sense, it's expected because we live in a world that is broken. That's not all that's going to be. And so we look towards something else. All right, look what happens in verse 9 when this transition begins to happen. Verse 9, all the difficulty that's been talked about up to this point becomes very personal. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation or, or difficulty and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So now it's no longer stuff happening out there to other people. Now the difficulty has come to me. We're facing opposition because of following Christ. Verse 10, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. What happens when you live in a world where it seems like things are falling apart? One of the things that can happen in this world is the people that you expect to stay close to you begin to abandon you. The people that you look to for inspiration and direction don't always provide that. People that you thought were surely committed to the way of Christ begin to turn away. And again, we say, we hate it. We want nothing to do with it. We, it, it breaks our heart, but it's not going to drive us away from Christ. Because my hope was not in those people. Ultimately, my hope was in Christ. Especially this bottom one down here. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Follow this with me for a second, because I think it helps make sense of some of the things we run into in the world. So here's the situation. 
someone you know or you're connected with is a part of the church, connected to the things of the Lord, but they see all the pain in the world and, and they begin to be drawn away from the things of Christ and they start to say things like, you know what, I'd be a lot happier if I was doing my own thing, going my own direction. And there's this tendency to think about when we go away from the law of the Lord, we go away from the way of the Lord, that life will get easier and happier and everything will be better. But what happens is actually our love just erodes. And a person that you found to be so full of joy and so committed to the way of the Lord just becomes hard and angry and bitter, and their love both for God and for other people begins, begins to erode because we find ourselves going away from the things of the Lord. We, we get beat down by, by what's going on in the world. What's the response to that, though? Verse 13. Look at verse 13. This is an incredible passage. Verse 13 is a bit of good news here. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures, who keeps going through all that we face, will be saved. This idea of endurance, what is God calling you to do when it feels like your life is falling apart, when it feels like the world is falling apart? What is God calling you to do? Keep going. A lot of times when I'll send text messages to people or I'll send emails to people, I don't always know how to end those messages. There's a hundred awkward ways you can end a text message or, a, or an email. But one of the things I like to say at the end of text messages or emails is stay the course. Stay the course. What I mean by stay the course is continue to trust the Lord. Keep going in faith. Don't give up. One of the greatest gifts of being a part of a local church is that you have people around you saying don't give up. Keep going. Stay the course. Continue to trust the Lord. How do we continue going? 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May the God of peace, don't miss how cool that phrase is based on what we talked about earlier. In times of difficulty, in times where you feel like, can I keep going? It's the God of peace himself who will sanctify you make, you, make you holy, and may you be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. That God will continue to provide the strength and the hope and the energy to keep going. Now, let's stop for a second. Practically, practically, how do you endure how do you keep going in a world that can seem to crumble so much or when life gets hard? How do you just keep going? How do you stay the course? How do you not give up? Number one is you have to have other people around you. Endurance in the Christian faith is not an individual sport. Endurance, people who continue to go, people who continue to stay in the game, people who continue to live in faith are those who are surrounded by encouragers, those who are surrounded by people who are praying for you, who lift you up, who help you to continue to move forward. This is why it's so important that you're part of a local church. This is why it's so important that you're connected with a group of people in that local church. This is why when life gets so hard and it's so tempting to isolate yourself, you cannot do that. Because the thing that will make the difference in your endurance is that you have people around you who say, I'm with you. I love you, I care for you, I'm praying for you, keep 
going, stay the course. We need people in our lives doing those things. How else do you endure? A lot of times, endurance is a day-to-day reality. And what I mean by day-to-day reality, the way you keep going is each day you wake up and say, Lord, today's a gift from you. Today, I'm going to choose to trust you. Sometimes, hear me out on this, sometimes even the ability or the willingness just to go to sleep at night and say, God, you're going to have to take this. I'm going to go to sleep tonight because I believe that you are in control, and I will wake up tomorrow, and I will proclaim your faithfulness. Day after day, continue to seek the Lord. Continue to strive after holiness. And then don't miss, don't miss. When you're trying to endure, when you're trying to stay in the game, when you're trying not to give up, don't miss how important it is to gather together with people on a weekly basis and worship. Part of what we're doing here this morning, part of what it means to gather with people on Sunday morning is this fuels your endurance. This keeps you going. This reminds you, I'm not alone. When you come on Sunday morning, Emmaus, you come as encouragers. And you may encounter somebody on Sunday morning who you don't realize it, but they are very close to throwing in the towel. They are overwhelmed. They don't know how they're going to continue to keep going. They're not sure even what they believe right now. They're barely holding on. But they came, they gathered, and your conversation, your prayer for them, your interaction with them is what God uses to say, nope, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to continue to trust the Lord. I know that he is good. I know that he is faithful. It is so good to sing together, to pray together, to have conversations together, to study the word together and say, we're moving ahead together. We are not going to be of those who fall back, but we are going to be of those who move forward in faith. Verse 14. Verse 14. This gospel, this good news of Jesus, this good news of God's kingdom that we're talking about, when it seems like everything is falling around us, it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, let's just be honest. There's a lot going on in that verse that goes beyond what we have time to address right now. There's questions about missions and how world missions relates to the return of Christ, and those are important conversations. I think sometimes they get a bit misguided, but they're important conversations. Here's what Jesus is doing with that verse in particular. He is saying, when it looks like your life is falling apart, and it looks like the world is falling apart, do you know what will happen to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It'll continue to move forward. It's going to continue to spread. It's going to continue to reach new people in new places with the same good news of Jesus. When we see hard things happening, and we're tempted to think, oh man, is is the gospel going to keep moving forward? In America, we say strange things like, is the church going to die? No, no. The gospel of Jesus Christ, amid all kind of turmoil, amid all kind of difficulty, just continues to move forward. There is so much freedom that comes when we encounter difficulty and we see it as an opportunity for God to move. When you encounter difficulty in your life, when it feels like the world is in a really bad place, That is not the time to throw in the towel. 
that's the time to say, God, I'm ready to see you move. I'm ready to see you work in a way that goes beyond anything I could ever imagine. I want you to know that the pastors here at Emmaus, we're reading a book together because we want to understand what this looks like for our church in the days ahead. When you look at the world around us and say, man, the world's in a mess. When you're like my kids and say, it looks like everything is getting worse. When you hear some of the stories of people in our church who are hurting and you begin to feel overwhelmed, in those moments, as a church, we are going to refuse to panic and we are going to refuse to throw in the towel and we are going to say, God, this is the moment that you will move in power. This is the moment that we need your presence more than ever before. This is the moment that we trust in the good news of Jesus more than we ever have before. This is the time that we will choose to praise you because you are good and you are faithful and you alone rule the universe. So where does this take us here at the end? How do we live when it feels like everything seems to be falling apart? We're going to endure. We're going to endure together. We're going to endure in faith. We're going to continue to proclaim and display Jesus. And we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ will succeed. That what we see and what we experience now is not the end of the story. So here's what we're going to do this morning to do that together. I'm going to pray for us, pray over us. And after I do, we're going to sing a psalm together about our declaration of hope in Christ that goes beyond what we experience, that goes beyond what we're going through right now. Lord, we trust you. We're going to sing about that together. During that song, if you need someone to pray for you, if you feel like your world is falling apart, if you feel overwhelmed by what's happening in the world around you, we want to be able to pray for you during that song. We stay up here after the service. We would love to pray for you after. If you're like, ah, I'm not going to go up there during that song, but I need somebody to pray for me. We stay here. We want to pray for you through this. If you have never trusted in Jesus, if you're bearing all the weight of your life and the world on your own shoulders trying to do this on your own, can I encourage you to look to Christ? He has taken all of that, and you can trust in him. Let's pray together right now. Father, we trust you. God, I thank you for the gift of Matthew 24. God, I thank you for the example of the people I've known who have run into incredible difficulty, and yet they have so many yards after contact. They just continue to trust. They continue to move forward. God, I pray for people in our church right now who are hurting, probably in ways that very few people know or could ever understand. God, I pray that they would stay the course. I pray that they would continue to trust in you, that they would proclaim and display the good news of Jesus to the world around them. God, I pray that when people think about Emmaus, they would think about people of peace and hope in the middle of a panicked world. God, that we would be the kind of people who continue to praise you, who continue to trust you, and who look around and we're not overwhelmed. We see this as an opportunity, an opportunity for your gospel to move in new ways, in new places, in powerful ways. And so God, as we've seen right now, receive our praise. 
God, as people cry out to you in prayer right now, God, would you comfort them? Father, together we say that we trust you. We trust in the name of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.